Welcome to the Ruby Book Club podcast, where we read an hour of a Ruby book each week and dissect it with you. I'm Saran, developer and founder of Code Newbie. And I'm Nadia, developer and director at Ignition Works. So we're currently reading Ruby Under a Microscope by Pat Shaughnessy. And over the last few episodes, particularly episodes seven and eight, we were starting to struggle to piece things together. And so, to our surprise, the wonderful Pat has been listening and he put together a short Um, essay to address some of our concerns and so we decided to take a break from the book to look over Pat's notes and discuss these today. And remember to follow us on Twitter at Ruby Book Club and if you're reading along and you're on Twitter tweet at us and let us know what you think of the book so far. We'd love to hear from you. So how did you find Pat's notes? Well first of all it was amazing that you know we were reading something written by the author of a book that was written specifically for us so I felt really special Um, I was really Mm -hmm. touched that he'd (laughs) taken the time and the effort to try and piece together some of our concerns I think they definitely helped covering up some things particularly with RB control frame T structures there are still some unanswered questions but Pat has said look these are coming up in chapters four and five trust me so I'm feeling a bit calmer about that Um, but this is a really good start yeah, same. Um, I I really appreciated the the control frame T structure bit because um, that was one thing that I, I just didn't really understand very well. Um, and just the fact that he wrote it is the part that I really appreciate mm-hmm. the most, you know, just knowing because I think part of uh, so one of the things about reading a book or just in general being self-taught is you're 100 percent reliant on just how clear and how well done the material is and hopefully you get it and if you don't you're you're kind of screwed and so it was really nice to just have to feel like pat exists as a safety net you know where if we don't quite understand things or you know things are confusing knowing that he's listening and he's there to kind of swoop in and do a little bit of course correction um was just really awesome so i just really appreciated the uh the fact that it was written for us i felt very special thank you so much pat thanks pat (laughs) Okay, so we dig into looking at the notes? Yep, let's do it. So Pat looks at two main things that we were talking about over episode seven and eight. The first one is around uh, where and how the puts method connects to a computer display and writes the output, so how all that works. And the second one was how the times method worked and why it wasn't implemented with Yarb instructions. So I think we're going to start with looking at the puts method. Yes. So I think we all know how the puts method generally operates. It takes a string argument and it writes to the console and returns the value nil. And so the question that we had, I believe in episode seven, was trying to figure out, okay, if it returns the value nil, but then on my screen, I see, I think in this example was the number four, what is responsible for the nil? What's responsible for the four? Why do I see the four but return nil? So there's a little bit of question around that. And what Pat says is that it is the C code which is responsible for really uh, taking care of that and taking care of that puts method for us. Uh, and that he didn't show that in the book because it wasn't really like the point of that section. Uh, but that's the C code is what is responsible, which to me made me really happy because I feel like in that episode, we did a good amount of investigating on our own, and we went back a couple chapters and read different bits and pieces and kind of pieced together and guessed that it was the C mm-hmm. code. And so knowing that, you know, we were right yes, <laughs> was, was awesome. Cool. I like that. There are a couple of points yeah. in these notes where I was like, oh, yes, we were right about that, but it was good to have the extra confidence. One thing to point out is that... Um, what Pat reveals in the second paragraph of this is that, so we've got the Ruby core team and they write two types of code. One is C and the other is Ruby. And so there are some methods that are implemented in C code 
And there are some methods which are part of the standard library, which are also written by the Ruby core team, but they are written in Ruby code. Yes, and I thought that was so interesting that when we talk about the the stuff written by the core team, that there are parts that are written actually in Ruby, and then other parts that are written in just straight C. So it kind of it kind of triggered this entire entirely separate you know chain of questions in my mind, which is you know how do they make the decision of writing it in Ruby to then be interpreted by C, or then just write it in C? Like how do they even decide that? So yeah, that was really good context to have. And I just want to double check. Because um, he refers to the Ruby code team, the Ruby core team, and the Ruby team in the same paragraph. Are you under the impression that it's the same team? Oh boy, I hope so. Okay, because <laughs> I'm going under the impression that it's the same team that's writing Ruby code and C code. I actually think that the Ruby code team in that first sentence of the second paragraph, I think that's a typo. I think it's supposed to say the Ruby core yes, team. Me yeah, too. yeah, that makes cool. more sense. Yeah. So in explaining how the puts method is really performed by the C code, which is inside of Ruby, he also goes on to mention that the part that ties into the YARV instructions is really just the send. And when we do the send, that's the thing that calls the C code and then kind of lets the C code handle the implementation of that and lets it take care of everything after that. So the link between, that was the thing that, you know, to me was missing was, you know, what is, what's the connection between the YARV instruction and then the C, assuming the C code was doing the implementation, what's the thing that ties those two together? And what Pat is saying is that it's the send YARV instruction that passes that on to C code and then the C code takes care of it. Yeah, and I think that's when we have the send call info mid bit because that's the method ID and mm-hmm. then we've got, so that explains that line. Um, and then as he says in chapter four, he's going to get into more details of what the send instruction does. Um, so that's going to be good because we're going to get to that soon and what it means to call a method. Um, and yeah, so the YARV instructions, as we gathered ourselves, don't write anything to the, to the display. It's the C code for the puts method that does that. Yep. So does that sort of cover the puts method for you? Um, are you happy moving on from that? Yes, yes. And it's interesting because in this write-up, Pat says that he purposely didn't go into certain things uh, because he was worried it'd be a distraction. But the other side of it is the lack of information is itself a distraction. So it's kind of interesting to see, mm-hmm. you know, when we interviewed him and we talked to him about, you know, how he made decisions on how to write the book and what to include and what to not include and those kinds of things. It was interesting to hear from him, you know, why he didn't explain those things and kind of the the two ways that the reader can take that. So yeah, this to me was sufficient enough of an explanation that I can kind of put it to rest in my mind and move forward. Um, And I don't necessarily feel like at this point anyway, I need to dig into the internals of the send instruction yet. You know, I think I'm, I feel, I feel like I know enough to move on and I'm excited to really unpack it in chapter four. Great. So shall we get into the uh, Meteor times method? Yep. Okay. So Pat, and I, and again, this is what's really helpful about these notes, is that he takes the same example that we've been seeing in the book, but just explains it in a slightly different way, step by step. And I really appreciated that. So it wasn't a new example, which could also have been helpful, yes. but it was something that we're mm-hmm. used to seeing in the book. And so he says, to look at how the times method works and how that's linked to RB control frame T structures, we're going to walk through the example of 10.times do puts the quick brown fox jumps over the lazy dog end. And then we have a series of bullet points where Pat explains step by step what's happening. So first we start with the number 10. And I think we know from, you know, chapters, chapter one, I think how that's tokenized and passed. So we've got the integer 10 and then we're calling the times method on it. 
Um, and I love when Pat says that's what 10 dot times means. And it was one of those things where I yeah. know, <laughs> I know he's trying to just cover every little thing, but I, it made me smile because I was like, yeah, I think I got that much. <laughs> but yeah. I, I appreciate it's It's a thing, you know, when people are teaching other people, we, it's it's better to be safe and to just say more things um at the risk of saying something that people already know just so that because there's it's the occasion where you assume knowledge where you often miss fundamentals um and so mm-hmm. it's better to be safe definitely okay so then we have 10 and and I thought this bit was interesting where where he says you know 10 is a fixed num it's it's, a, it's an instance of the fixed num class and that has the times method and that made me think aha of course those are the methods that um is written in ruby because that's the, those are the classes that we can monkey patch so that makes sense that those mm-hmm. are the methods written by the ruby core team in ruby um because we open up those classes and modify them we can for example mm. and he does yeah. say he's going to look yep. into classes and objects in chapter five so great so now we say the times method takes a single block as a parameter and obviously this is signified to us by the do keyword we we know that that signifies a block and so now, once Yav st- gets into executing the times method, this is where we get a new RB control frame T structure. And I like this bit. He says, as Nadia said at one point, I was like, hmm, yes, I know. Tell me more. <laughs> um, each, each RB control frame T structure represents a level in your Ruby's program's cool stack. So, so we've got one with times. And then later on, when we get into the block with do, that will add another um, RB control frame structure. So that explains those diagrams that we see where we have another level um, we have another RB control frame T block added on each previous one. And then the other interesting thing he says is that when you return from a method, that an RB control frame T structure is deleted. So you end up with none left. Yeah. Did we know that previously? I don't think that was mentioned in the book explicitly at all. Yeah. But again, that's all part of, there are so many things that Pat probably could mention that it's just not worth doing because you, who knows where to draw the line. Yeah, I'm kind of glad that, well, as far as I remember in the book, I don't think we deleted any structures and I think if I if I knew that and tried to like if if essentially to me it looked like there were missing control frame t structures it would have been very confusing yes if they suddenly disappeared <laughs> mm-hmm. it'd have to be yeah. another level that you'd have to another level of um understanding and manipulation that you'd have to keep in your head you know it's interesting because especially and I've had this idea before when I think about technical books or just books that are teaching something some topic whether it's technical or non-technical is it really it it really should be like a choose your own adventure book you know because for me anyway as you can see I really need to understand the fundamentals of anything that's mentioned otherwise it totally freaks me out but I totally get you know I think you're much better at this than I am mm-hmm. where if something is not explained like you're totally comfortable moving on and going on to the next thing and taking what you can get so you know in a way that was kind of built into this book with the um with the C code call outs but uh yeah but I can just imagine like the structure of technical books being more of a choose your own adventure where if you really need to know the the exact details of how the T structures work and whether it's deleted or not you can go down this road everybody else stay you know pick option A I think that'd be really cool I think that's really interesting implications for just educational books um in general because of yeah. Because obviously, it was, I thought that was, Pat was sort of getting that a bit with the C code bits, because it was sort of like, you can go down the route to de- deep dive into C code more if you want. But yeah, there's definitely scope for different learning styles and how deep you want to go and which track you want to be on. Mm-hmm. Yep, exactly. Cool. So the next thing that he clarifies is the type, because I remember in the 
RB control frame T structures, there's always uh, a little type that's, you know, at the bottom of it. I think one was eval, one was top, and one of them is C-funk. And so here it says that it has the type C-funk because it was written by the Ruby team in C and not Ruby. So it is actually a C function, and that's where that came from. Yes. And so when we get another RB control frame T structure with the block, that's why that one has a type block, because it's a block. Mm-hmm. Yep, and as we mentioned earlier, we're calling a new method, which which means that we're adding to our stack, and so we have to add a new RB control T structure. And as Nadia just said, that one is called block because it's a block. And then Pat wraps up by pointing something out uh, about the YARV instructions. I think at some point we had the question about, well, some of them have YARV instructions, some don't. Where where does that come from? How is it decided? And here he says that the RB control frame T structure with the type block comes with YARV instructions because he is the person who wrote it. So it wasn't written by the Ruby core team. Yeah, and it's not in C code. And then we have a bit, you know, of a C code deep dive if we want it. And he links us to the int do times method that we were talking about in one of the previous episodes. Um, and he shows us the C code for it. And rather helpfully, he writes us an equivalent in Ruby code. Because I opened the link and it was very confusing, um, the C code. <laughs> but he says essentially what the times method does is, um, it's equivalent to the Ruby for n in zero dot dot nine, so zero to nine inclusive, do yield n end. And then, so we know it loops from zero to nine, um, and then it calls the block yield with the argument n um, each time as it goes through that loop. Mm-hmm. So we want to know, what did you think of the reading this week? It's a little bit different than our usual weeks, but we're wondering what you think of the little write-up that we went through. Tweet us at Ruby Book Club and tell us about how you plan to use the takeaways from this episode in your next project. See you next week. Cheerio! Cheerio!